Luke chapter 5, verse 10 and 11 says this, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We have been talking about discipleship. In fact, you may not realize it, but this is the ninth segment in this series. And so I would encourage you to hear all that went before more than once. A disciple is one who forsakes all and gives his all to follow Christ. A disciple is an imitator of Christ who patterns his life after Christ's example. You see, everybody's imitating something, but you don't want to imitate the wrong thing. You may be, you may be following the world. <laughs> you may be following the wrong pattern, but you need to follow the Word of God. Praise the Lord. And in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said His purpose was to seek and to save the lost. So those who walk with Him will have the same purpose. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So if we're not fishers of men, we have to question, are you really following him? Jesus came into this earth not to be celebrated, but duplicated, to reproduce his life in others and live through them. So a disciple is not one who struggles to be Christ-like through his own feeble efforts, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Are you listening to me? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, this is a verse that I often think about, for it is God who works in you. Praise the Lord. He's writing to believers. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, right now at this moment, Maybe winning the lost is the furthest thought from your mind. But God is working in you to perform His will. And God can change your desires. I said God can change your desires. He did it at the point of your conversion. He did it when you were born again. Many would say the things I once loved, I now hate. The things I once hate, I now love. Well, he's not through. He's still working in you. So what he's going to do is he's going to help you to love what he loves. The Passion Translation says this, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. And that's what God's going to do tonight. He's implanting within your spirit, not just the, the, the general desire, but the passion the fervent passion to do what pleases Him. What pleases Him? Winning the lost is one thing. As we draw near to God, He draws near to us. And the stronger His presence is, the greater His influence is in our life. So, you know, as a Christian, we can live, you know, closer we can, and, 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 and closer fellowship with the Father, or we can be somewhat distanced. And, of course, all of us know that. Sometimes if we were to map out our spiritual life, it would kind of be like a wave going up and down. But in those times when we are closer to God, His presence is stronger, and at those times His influence is greater in our lives, and those are the times when He has great, greatest ability to change us to become like Him. In the fullness of God's presence, then, two things happen. At least two things happen. First, in His presence, there is an overwhelming desire to worship. I said in His presence, in the fullness of His presence. In other words, the stronger the glory is manifested, the more the response of people is to worship God. It's an automatic thing to worship, and to fall at His feet, being aware of His greatness and, in contrast, our own shortcomings. Secondly, in His presence, there is a desire to let others know about the reality of God. There's a desire 
There's a desire in our hearts, an overwhelming desire to let others know about the reality of God. Think about this. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read that Isaiah had a vision of the Lord. He saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the glory filled the heavenly temple. And in the presence of God's holiness, Isaiah was acutely aware and conscious of his own unholiness, even though he was a prophet in Israel. He said, woe is me, I'm undone. And an angel touched his lips with a burning coal and said to him in verse 7, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. Praise the Lord. So I guess that's the wonderful experience. In essence, you could say it's like his conversion, right? Well, okay, end of the story, and Isaiah lived happily ever after. No, that's not the end of the story. The next verse says this, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. As soon as he was cleansed, God sent him with a message for the nation. Praise the Lord. And that same voice speaks to our hearts today. As soon as we are saved, there's also a voice inside of us that says, can I send you now? Will you be my voice Will you take my message of the goodness of Christ to your people, to your community, to your generation? Now, friends, we can talk about the presence of God. We can sing about the presence of God. We can teach and preach about the presence of God. But if there's not a burning desire in our hearts to share and take the message of Christ to this world, I doubt whether we've experienced much of God's presence at all. Thank you for your enthusiasm. The presence of God will make you an evangelist. Hallelujah. Now, going back, going back to Luke chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. Luke 5, 10 and 11. You know the story. I won't take the time to read all of it. But Peter and his uh, associates, his friends, they toiled all night long and caught nothing. But at the word of Jesus, they launched their boat into the deep waters and cast their net. And the haul of fish was so great, their boat could scarcely hold it. Now, in a similar way, of course, after that, he said, you know, from now on, you'll catch men. In a similar way, perhaps in our life or in our ministry, we have labored to win the world with little to show for it. In other words, you could be online listening to this message right now and think the same thing. Oh, you know, I've been in ministry for many, many years, and it's just very difficult, you know, and people are not interested. And I I haven't found the people in my community or in my town to be receptive to the gospel. But if we will hear the master's voice, the voice of the Lord, and obey going where he sends us, and doing what he instructs us to do, there will be a huge catch of souls, and our churches will be bursting at the seams. Evangelism is not something we do for Christ. It's something he does through us. It's something he does through us. That's why we often fail. We get in the way. In Mark chapter 16, verse 20, you know, Jesus told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel back there in verse, you know, 15, 16. But in verse 20, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the accompanying signs. You know, there's three little phrases there. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, and then there was accompanying signs, signs following the word. Most of us pay attention to the first phrase and the third phrase, but we omit the middle phrase. Go and preach signs and wonders. But the missing part is, while the Lord worked with them. That means very simply, you're not going to catch any fish in your net without his help. 
He's going to tell you where to launch your boat. He's going to tell you, is it the right side? Is it the left side? You know, how am I going to catch these fish? Praise the Lord. So how do we catch men for Christ? Well, Jesus made that analogy. Let's think about it for a moment. Fishing takes, and there are some people here to, tonight who like to fish, and there's some watching, I'm sure. Fishing takes, we should say, skill, patience, and maybe in the world people would say in a bit of luck. And I'm talking about real fishing. I'm not talking about naga fishing where you dam up the river and then throw in sticks of dynamite or something like that. I'm talking about real fishing. <laughs> <laughs> where you actually get a fish, not a, not a piece of a fish with a bullet in it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But in a similar way, soul winning takes skill, patience, not luck, but more than a bit of God's grace, His help, you see. So we may have good intentions. Our motives may be pure. We may have the right desires. But lack of skill will hinder us. Now, there are recreational fishermen who, you know, go to the river, go to the fishery pond, go to the sea, on vacation, on weekends, that type of thing. And there are professional fishermen. This is what they do. Jesus didn't say, follow me and I'll take you fishing. We'll have an excursion. We'll have a holiday together. He's going to teach us how to be expert soul winners. Expert soul winners. The problem is, in the church, most are only amateurs. So, praise the Lord, last year we caught a fish. Well, that's not a, that's not a professional fisherman. <laughs> praise the Lord. Amen. So, let's talk about a few little points here. Might help all of us. We're all together. To catch fish... Here's a point. You must go where the fish are. What an amazing thought. To, to catch fish, you must go where the fish are. Most churches are fishing out of their own bathtub. And there are no fish in your bathtub. The fish are out there in the world. Amen. Glory to God. So, if you want to win men for Christ, you have to be with men who need Christ. You have to be with those who are lost. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, when we talk about evangelism, many people immediately think about a large crusade meeting. You know, that's the first thing that pops in their mind. You know, they, they might even think, yeah, that's right. Maybe we should call Brother Zama Zama to come here and we'll have a big crusade meeting. Well, that, that certainly has its place. But think about this. Most people are not one to the Lord through mass evangelism. Most people are saved through personal evangelism. In fact, I've been to some large crusade meetings where practically everybody in attendance was already saved. They're all church people. And, and, and they're all saved people, mostly. Well, that's not really an evangelistic meeting. Amen? Think about this. Mass evangelism is the least effective form of communication. Because that's one person. That's kind of like what I'm doing here today. Although this is not evangelism, I'm instructing, giving teaching. But mass evangelism is one person talking, everybody listens. Personal evangelism is the most effective form of communication. That's a conversation between two individuals. Jesus not only preached to the crowd, he conversed with individuals. So if you have a passion for the lost and all you ever do is have meet big meetings, hmm... Maybe there's a blind spot. Philip not only preached in the city of Samaria and a citywide revival occurred, but then he walked through the wilderness, ran and joined to a man in his chariot from Ethiopia and said, do you understand what you're reading? He was as concerned about the individual as he was the crowd. Come on, if you call yourself an evangelist and you never speak to individuals, then you're not really an evangelist. You may be a meeting organizer, but you're not an evangelist. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. 
you have to go where the fish are. Jesus did not spend his entire life cloistered in his bedroom playing his guitar. Hmm? He intermingled with sinners. In fact, his critics blasted him. They harshly criticized him for dining, eating with tax collectors and people uh, of ill repute, the low strata of society. But he told them, you know, the doctor doesn't visit the healthy but the sick. Here we are, and we have the cure for humanity, humanity but no, we're not seeing any patients. Right? Glory to God. Jesus was prayerful. Don't misunderstand me. Of course he was. In fact, sometimes all night long he communed with the Father, but he did not live his life isolated from others. Okay, just you in your little bedroom, praying in tongues, reading your Bible, playing your guitar. That's all fine. And well, hey, I'm not, I'm not speaking disparagingly of that. But if that's all you have, then you are lopsided, you are not balanced, you are not healthy, and you are not really, you're not really going to become all that Jesus wants you to come. Oh, I'm having a mountaintop experience. Wonderful. Now come down from that mountain, and you got to talk to the people in the valley. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus mingled with people, even folks with dubious questionable reputations. In other words, he talked to some people that you wouldn't talk to. Some of you are looking at me very sanctimonious right now. It's true. The Bible tells me in the book of Luke that Zacchaeus was a corrupt government official. And uh, he wanted to see Jesus, but he was short in stature. He was height challenged, like some of you. And so he climbed up into a tree to get a better look. And when Jesus saw him, he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus invited himself. I must stay at your house today. Seems a bit forward, you know, a little bit presumptuous perhaps. But in Luke chapter 19, verse 6, it says, Zacchaeus received him Gladly, not only into his house, but more importantly, into his heart. I think Zacchaeus was obviously honored that Jesus would want to be with him. I'm sure that everybody knows who this character is. He's like the local mafia guy. He's a, he's a scoundrel. Everybody hates him. He's getting rich at everybody else's expense. If you don't pay your taxes or pay even the exorbitant rates that he charges, he'll send Roman soldiers and they'll do a shakedown. Turn you upside down and shake every coin out of your pocket. They'll get the money one way or the other. So nobody loves this guy. And I'm sure Zacchaeus is used to being shunned by all the righteous folk, all the religious leaders. I'm sure they have nothing to do with him. And here is the divine son of God and he made it a point to say, I'm going to come to your house. Praise the Lord. And Zacchaeus, evidently at dinner, announced to everybody, I'm giving half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. There was some fruit to go along with his repentance. Come on, some people we know are like Zacchaeus. And they have like, you know, a rent-a-preacher come and pray for them. And then when they die, they eulogize this person. You'd think Billy Graham had just died. But this guy, when he got saved, he made some changes. Oh, I could preach right now. He made some changes in his life. I'm not going to live that way anymore. Am I talking about somebody you know or what? Come on, that's true. Hallelujah. By the way, another one of those low-life, rotten characters became a government official, uh, was a government official. He became a devoted follower of Christ. And we are all the better for it because God used him to write the book of Matthew. So you never know. Someone that you think there's no hope for this person could be the person that God uses to change your world. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 4. 
John chapter 4, Jesus came to a place called Sychar, I guess, in Samaria. Now, a little background will help you really understand this story better. When Jews in the first century traveled from Galilee, that's where Jesus is from, when they traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem, basically from north to south, they went out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. Jews in the first century, in the time of Christ, you know, they avoided Samaria. In fact, even if it added several hours to their journey, they did that rather than to have to come in contact with the Samaritan. See? But Jesus intentionally, on purpose, went through Samaria and then sat down at a well on the outskirts of that town. In other words, we should not avoid people who need the Lord. Oh, I don't drive through that part of town. I would never park my car in front of that restaurant. I don't even want to go to, I wouldn't even want to be seen, you know, with those people. Well, then you're never going to catch any fish, are you? Well, I'm a good Christian, so I don't even want to go to that person's house. No, you're a good Pharisee. We could say you're stuck up, but I don't want to be unkind. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. We should not avoid people who need the Lord. Sure, they have issues. You may smell alcohol on their breath, cigarette smoke, you know, on their clothes. I mean, they may, their, their, their vocabulary may be colorful, but that's why they need to be saved. That's why they need the Lord. Can I get an amen, please? So a woman came to draw water. In John chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This seems rather unremarkable to us. Doesn't, no big deal. But it was significant for several reasons. Basically because the Jews hated the Samaritans. They didn't just mildly dislike them. They loathed and detested the Samaritans. They didn't call them those people. They called them dogs. <laughs> so they are what we would call a little bit prejudiced. <laughs> See? And there's a reason why. There's this long history. You got to go all back to the Old Testament and, you know, the northern kingdom basically became idolatrous right off the bat and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, the Jews are the southern kingdom from Judah, from the, the lineage of David and, and, you know, and all that stuff. And so, you know, and then all that happened with the Assyrians and stuff like that. And he brought in other people and they're like a, kind of this mixture, half Jew, half pagan people. So they, they hated these people. So that Jesus, the fact that Jesus, who was an Orthodox Jew, would speak to a Samaritan, even speak to this person. And not only that, drink from their well? That was quite unusual. That, 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 would, that would be like, you know, in, in, in Hindu India, some high-ranking Brahmin, you know, is just eating the food with, with the, with the low-class low uh, outcast person, you see. Shocking. And furthermore, it's a woman. Oh, Lord have mercy. And it's a woman with questionable morals. And he's talking to her. Some of you would be embarrassed. <laughs> he was talking. If you want to reach those no one else is reaching, you'll have to do what no one else is doing. If you want to reach those that no one else is reaching, you got to do more than say, Oh, Lord. Just save the drug addicts and the drug dealers and all the gangsters. and all. No, no, come on, sister. Get off your blessed assurance. God needs more than just that little Mickey Mouse prayer. You have to put feet on those prayer. If you want to reach those no one else is reaching, you'll have to do what no one else is doing. Amen. Successful soul winners and 
I am in no way, let me make a disclaimer here, I am in no way the example to follow. There are other people, even in this church, who are much better than I am, and so I would defer to them, but nonetheless, I'm the guy holding the mic tonight, so I'm gonna teach on this. <laughs> Successful soul winners are mostly, in my opinion, people persons. See, there's two kinds of people, people people and things people. Things people love things. My car, my scooter, my house, my furniture, my clothes, me, my, my possessions. Things people love things, and they use people to get things. People people love people, and they use things to get people. Soul winners are people people. They're not antisocial. They, they like being with others. They're not afraid to strike up a conversation. Generally speaking, in my opinion, they're warm and pleasant to be around. So you can write this down. If we want to win the lost, we must be friendly. You're praying for anointing. Well, actually, that's not your problem. Your problem is you're not very friendly. <laughs> you're not very friendly. Listen, you may understand many things in the Bible, wonderful, but if you don't understand people, you'll have a hard time leading them to Christ. Did you hear me? You may know all kinds of verses in Greek and Hebrew and all these heavy revies that you picked up along the way, but if you don't know and understand people, you'll have a hard time leading them to Christ. Some Christians appear angry and aloof, when in reality, they're just shy and awkward. See, sometimes people, they sort of look like they're, you know, antisocial, you know, just, you know, not, don't want to be a part of me. And it's not, and, some, and sometimes, of course, sometimes they are like that, but sometimes the thing is that they're just shy. So they look like they're angry, but they're, they're nervous. They're uncomfortable, right? So we need to become, we're going to catch fish for men, uh, for, not for men, catch men, yeah. Some of, you are, some of you girls are fishers of men, but I'm talking about for the kingdom. <laughs> if you're going to catch, <laughs> sorry, erase that part. When, if you're going to catch men for Christ, <laughs> if you're going to catch men for Christ, then uh, you're going to have to become comfortable around other people and develop a warm and engaging quality. Now you can say, uh, sorry, I'm excluded because that's not my personality. But there's another person in there living in you. And his personality can change your personality. That's why God gave you the Holy Ghost. That's what we're talking about, becoming more Christ-like. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I know I'm thinking of one evangelist that I have met only once or twice, but I would consider him effective. And one thing I noticed about this man, to be honest, and I don't mean this as criticism in any way, his preaching is, is good and every, it's okay and everything and his ministry, but one thing that catches my eye is he has the most friendly and welcoming smile. Every time I see that man... I was in a meeting once, and we all came for prayer. This is years ago. This is, this is uh, almost 30 years ago. We came for prayer, and he looked right at me and just gave me that warm, loving smile. I'll never forget that. And every time I see him, like uh, on videos and so, he has that same welcoming, friendly smile because it comes from a heart that genuinely cares about people. Write this down. It's not enough to love Christ. You must love people. We're talking about catching fish. It's not enough to love Christ. You must love people. For some Christians, and they may not be here this evening, but for some Christians, a scowl is their default setting. <laughs> I guess they're just born that way. I don't know. I don't know what happened, you know, but it's kind of like they've been sucking on a lemon all day long. Look. Kind of all twisted. 
And you think, are you right? Yes, I'm happy. I'm very happy. I've never been more happier than I am right now. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> and they may not be aware of it, you know, and they don't necessarily have any animosity toward anyone, but the fact is their facial expression, well, it, it does repel people. It chases people away better than good night chases mosquitoes out of my bedroom. <laughs> I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me where there's a knock at the door and I say yes, and there's you know, this, this man there, maybe two people, and they both look like they're angry as all get out and say, we're from the XYZ church, we're here to share with you Christ. <laughs> well, good thing I'm already saved because I wouldn't, if I wasn't, I don't think I would be saved by listening to you. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But here's how we can overcome that. Focus less on self and more on others. Because perfect love casts out fear. You're, you're so busy thinking, ah, he may reject me. They may laugh at me. They don't look like they want to hear what I have to say, and they may make fun of me. And you sound like an Italian opera singer. Me, 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 me. No, no. You need to think about other people. Amen? Right? And that perfect love will cast out fear. So if you are shy, you're not walking in love. Shy, who told you that shyness is a virtue? It's a vice. It's the fear of man, and it brings a snare. But in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Hallelujah. If you love God and love people, you'll overcome that shyness. Because it's not about you and how you feel and how you look. It's about an eternal soul that's on its way to hell. And if somebody doesn't reach down to where they are and rescue them, there's no hope for them. Listen, if I was drowning in the river and someone jumped in to pull me out, do you think I'd say, where did you get that dress? <laughs> Ooh, you call that a haircut? That's like 1950s, buddy. I wouldn't care how he was dressed or how his style. I'm just glad that there's a human being who cares enough to pull me out of the drink. Do you th they, they don't care about the way you look and your accent and all that kind of and the pimple on yours. They don't care about that stuff as much as the devil would like you to think. Amen. Amen. Not only did Jesus associate with sinners, he was sympathetic toward them. Now, he spoke the truth without compromise. He didn't change his message, but he did not speak in an, in an antagonistic way. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. You know, the good news is good news. So if it's good news... You shouldn't act like it's bad news. The good news is not, you're going to hell. Well, that's the bad news. The good news is you don't have to go to hell. <laughs> that's the good news, right? So good news makes people happy. So if you believe the good news, you should be kind of happy. Some of you are working on it. I appreciate that, but you might want to work a little harder. If, if, if you believe the good news, you should be happy. And if you can't be happy in the happy house, I know you won't be happy in the sad house. I'm talking about your house. So, so you should brighten up. You should brighten up a little bit. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You can't win people with a hard heart. I think some people... You know, they, they tried sharing, and maybe the person wasn't receptive, or, or maybe, maybe they encountered opposition. That, that opposition to the gospel is as old as the gospel itself. That's nothing new. And so because of that, they, they, they have developed this rancor, this bad attitude. I think some people have got some personal issues. You know, no one can say the word sinner like a Pharisee. This woman is a sinner. When you enjoy saying that, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> He's a sinner. <laughs> so were you until Christ saved you. <laughs> Amen? 
If you see the lost as the enemy who must be killed, defeated, crushed beneath your feet, you probably uh, will not touch them with your message. Amen? Have sympathy and have empathy for the sinner. You see, maybe on the way home tonight or sometime tomorrow on your way to work or school or what have you, you see some rough-looking character. Maybe he's on his motorbike next to you at the police point. He's spitting who knows what. He's saying all kinds of things that just hurt your sensitive ears and, you know, all tattooed up, all drunk up, doped up, whatever kind of up, and looks at you and just kind of maybe tells you you're number one. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, he's living in depravity. But you know what? Uh, without the grace of God, that would be you. I said, without the grace of God, that would be you. Right? right? Some of you, you know, you, you, in one hand, you need to forget the past and press on to the future. But on the other hand, you don't need to forget where you came from. The Apostle Paul is the one who said, old things have passed away and all things have become new. But he's also the same guy that said, I was a persecutor of the church. And I'm, and I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. He didn't forget where he came from. But he emphasized what God had done for him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Someone in kindness told you about the Savior's love. Now pass it on to someone else. My wife and I traveled to one church uh, earlier this year in America, and in our vehicle, we approached a bridge, and there was a toll booth. We have to stop and pay money. So when we came to the booth, the woman attending the, the booth kind of leaned over through the window and told me, the vehicle that just passed through you, the vehicle ahead of you, paid your toll. I said, what? The vehicle that passed ahead of you, in front of you, that person paid your toll. It's a stranger. I don't even know who that person is. So I don't, that means you don't owe anything. You're free. You can just drive across the bridge freely. But I thought, well, you know, if they paid for me, then I gave her the, the, the money and I said, then you tell the car behind me that someone else paid for them. Pass it on. Amen. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Someone else in kindness told you. Now, now it's your turn. Tell someone else so they can cross the bridge. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, in John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus said to the woman in Samaria, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, I have been fishing on numerous occasions, and never once, in my experience, have the fish ever jumped in the boat by themselves. I've, never, I've been out in the ocean. Never once have the fish just, you know, and then landed in the boat and say, take us home. No, no, that never happened to me. Right? We have to catch them. And I have never seen fish bite an empty steel hook. Oh, look at that. A hook bright and shiny hook. Who wants to die? Okay, let's go. They never do that. <laughs> I've got a death wish. No, they never do that. We have to bait the hook, right? Fish have to be baited. Jesus could have said to this woman, I'm the Messiah, and if you believe in me, you'll go to heaven. And that's, that's true. But here's another point, you see. Fish are easily startled, especially like a little fishery pond, maybe not out in the deep ocean or something, big blue marlin or something, shark or something, but, but fish are easily startled. So you have to be gentle with them. You have to be gentle. I don't know if you know that. That's very true. You know, if you're out on a little boat on, on a lake or something like that, then your friend turns on the boom box and turns on this loud boom, boom, boom. All the fish are gone now. They have left the, they have left the building. They, they're scared. They're easily startled. You can't beat a drum, shoot a gun or something. They'll all go. You look at fishermen. I'm talking about, you know, like rod and reel, like in a stream and a river, a little lake or something like that. You know, they're sitting there very quietly. 
You've got to be patient and you've got to be gentle. If you want to catch men for Christ, be sensitive. Be a little bit more sensitive. So if the opportunity arises to share the gospel with someone, don't try to impress that person with your spirituality. Look at me. Aren't I wonderful? Don't, don't use deep theological terms. I want to talk to you about the atonement <laughs> through the propitiation of Christ redeeming love, which has sanctifying power. Huh? <laughs> you yourself don't even know what that means. <laughs> and don't pray in tongues, not in front of them. You need Jesus. Shandai kappa kasoko. You know. <laughs> Just be scared spitless. Amen? People are typically nervous and not at ease when someone approaches them to begin sharing the gospel with them. Because their first thought is, especially if they don't know you well, is this is a nut. This is some crazy lunatic. So your first, first priority in sharing the gospel is to establish your own sanity i.e., don't act like a weirdo. Don't talk in some, you think it's anointed to talk in a high-pitched squeal. No, it's not. It's just, a, that's not the anointing. That's the annoying. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about Jesus. No, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to do something like that. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that at the well. He didn't start dancing in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> There's a time and a place for everything, and that's not the time, and that's not the place. Have some sense. Use some wisdom. Amen. Fish must be baited. So he just gave that one little word. I've got living water. He said something that sparked this woman's interest. Without fully disclosing the whole message, he peaked her curiosity with a word. You see, we can't force people to receive Christ. And the idea is not to manhandle them into saying the sinner's prayer. We don't barge into their home and say, we're from Spirit of Faith Church, you need Jesus. Now get down on your knees, say these words after me. Dear God, I come to you in Jesus. No, say it louder, louder. That's not, that's not, that's not what it's about. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say whoever calls because someone is forcing them will be saved. Some people, I think they're in, intimidated or maybe they're annoyed or whatever, and so they'll just say the prayer to, just to get rid of you. No, that's not what we want. We don't want false conversions. Amen? So Jesus knows this woman has to, first of all, desire what God is offering. Amen? And Jesus Taylor made his presentation to fit the individual in the circumstance. So here's a woman in, at noontime, the heat of the day, drawing water, and he talks to her about living water. What well, makes perfect sense? On another occasion, an old man came to him at night, and he told him about a new birth. Well, that's something that would appeal to him, you see. But a lot of Christians, they have just memorized a few cliches, and a little miniature religious speech, which they rattle off and tell everybody, cookie cutter. See? They just walk up to anybody. Born again? You need Jesus. How about you? You born again? You need Jesus. How about you? Are you born again? You need Jesus. Well, well notice that Jesus was more skillful than that. He presented his message in a way that certainly would connect with the listener. Amen? Praise the Lord. So the woman responded, this is John chapter 4, verse 15, Sir, give me this water. She's interested. But notice, again, he didn't say, all right, bow your head, say this prayer. See, here's another, there, there were, there's other things that need to be considered first. When you get a nibble, you may be tempted to just start reeling it in. But that's how you lose fish. They haven't bit, they haven't bit down, bitten, bit, bit, somebody knows Greek, uh, English. They haven't, they haven't chomped down on the hook yet. Right? So you get a little nibble, you start reeling it in, and you just get a hook. Little nibble, little nibble. Right? Don't press a person for a commitment until he's ready. Don't pick 
unripe fruit. Are you listening to me? When the person's not really sure that they believe, they're not really sure that they, you know, they understand this, don't say, oh, I'll just pray this prayer. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. That, that. that may push people further away from God because there's a good possibility they won't really be born again. And then they'll say, well, I prayed a prayer one time, but I'm not sure. And so, you know, that may mess them up. Don't do that. Make sure the person hears the whole message. Again, I have seen sometimes in evangelistic meetings, and I'm not picking on evangelists, of course, but where, you know, there's people singing and sharing their stories, and then there's a message just about, you know, Noah and the ark or something, and then they tag on a little altar call at the end. Okay, if you want to be born again, come on down here. Well, you haven't told us what that means. You haven't told us why it's important or nothing, and so the person is not really sure what, what are you even talking about. We boldly declare, Jesus is the answer, and the world is asking, what's the question? Oh, amen. So then Jesus said to the woman, go call your husband. You know the story. And she professed, she, she confessed, I have no husband. And he, re, he revealed, that's right. In fact, you've been married five times. And in fact, you're living with a man out of wedlock. Why did the spirit of God reveal that to Christ? And why did Jesus bring it up? Because there's an important point here. The gospel is not just about having an abundant life. It's forgiveness. So in a subtle but very effective way, he brought her attention to the reason for salvation, our sin. Our sin. But he did it, he did it in a nice way. I, I, I really like that. He didn't say, no, I know. You've had a few, haven't you, cowgirl? <laughs> you floozy. <laughs> No, no, no. In a very nice way, without really hurting her feelings, he said, just call your husband. Oh, I want to have a husband. Yeah, I know about that. <laughs> and she knew. She, she didn't need to press it too hard. She knew. See? And, and one other quick point here. I'm, I'm going to close in just a moment. I can see some of you concerned. But um, the woman said, uh-oh. Oh, boy. She said, oh, I, um, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I have a question for you. And she immediately pivots in another direction. Now, shall we worship here? Shall we worship here? Do you believe in the Trinity? Are you a Unitarian? Now, do you have to speak in tongues? Is that for us today? She went off in a tangent in another direction. And Jesus answered her question well, but then circled back around to the real issue. See? So here's the thing. Stay on message. Stay on message. I've had people say to me, well, you know, I don't know why you're picking on me. I mean, think about all those people who live in those faraway places and, and they've never even heard about Jesus. And I said, well, God will, will take care of those people, but I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> when, when you share the gospel, obviously there's going to be conviction. That's not a bad thing. But people will try to divert the conversation in another direction. Often people who pose a question, and this happens not only when talking to sinners, but even Bible school graduates, often people who pose a question don't sincerely want an answer. I feel like telling some people, I'm not Google. <laughs> How many times did Jesus use the word faith? There's such a thing as called a concordance. Look it up. <laughs> right? Some people just want to distract from the message and discredit the messenger. Stay on message. Don't pretend you have the answer when you don't. Don't try to bluff your way through it when you don't know. You can just say, I don't know, but this is what I do know. Amen. Praise the Lord. Don't get into a religious debate with somebody, a heated debate. I'm here to tell you about the love of God. Why aren't you listening to me? Well, you know, you might want to walk in love. That might help. <laughs> the woman said this. I'm, 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 I'm almost done. I, I really mean it this time. The woman said... In John 4, 25, I know that Messiah is coming. He will tell us all things. She's a Samaritan woman. She's probably not very educated. And being a Samaritan, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't believe the Bible like the Jews do. They don't have the Old Testament. They only have some parts. But she had some light. She had some truth. Important point. Try to agree with people as much as you can. Maybe the guy's a Muslim. Well, he believes there's one God. You believe that too. He believes that God is righteous and holy. You believe that too. 
He believes that God spoke to the people through the prophets. You believe that too. Find common ground with people as much as you can. I'm not asking you to compromise your beliefs, but find common ground. Some people, some people never find common ground with anybody. They don't even find common ground with fellow Christians. Oh, are you Baptist? Oh, praise the Lord. So am I Baptist. Oh, wonderful. Are you Southern Baptist? No, I'm Northern Baptist. Ah, fine. <laughs> you know, they, don't, they don't agree with anybody. Try to find places where you can agree. And of course, then in one of the most dramatic moments, in my opinion, in all of Scripture, he said to her, I who speak to you am he. He waited to the right moment. You see? He waited for the right moment. Here's a follow-up to that story. The disciples came, and she went back to town. But she told everybody in town about that experience. You know, women will do that. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> women will do that. <laughs> They'll tell every girlfriend and every family member. She told everybody in verse 29, come see a man who told me all I ever did. He didn't tell her all she ever did. That's an exaggeration on her part. But, but she means that this, this, is, this is something. And then she said, can this be the Christ? And the Bible says that many of the people in that town of Samaria, they believed in him because of her testimony. And they went out to see him. That woman that, why is she drawing water at noontime? I mean, usually people draw water early morning. She don't want to be with anybody else. She don't want to be seen. She, wants to, she doesn't want to hear the snickering and the gossip behind her back of all the people in the town. That's why she's out there at noontime, of course. But now this one that was low on the totem pole, not held in high regard, is the one that God used. That one person that you lead to the Lord could be the key to reaching a whole family or maybe a whole entire village or possibly even the whole community. You just never know. Would you stand with me to your feet today?